Welcome to another edition of the Green Bridge Podcast. As always, that is AJ. He's the Green. I'm Ken. I'm the Bridge. And this is Green Beige podcast number, it doesn't even matter. Thank you again so much for joining us today. We are always happy to be here with you and to put on this podcast. As always, like, subscribe, hit the notification bell and tell a friend. Now, today, before we get into our podcast, as most of you who are in the Caribbean would know, and those of you who are not may not necessarily be aware, the island of St. Vincent has had a volcanic eruption, the first time since 1979, I think it was. And it has caused a lot of destruction, a lot of displacement with the people of St. Vincent. Many of them in the danger zone had to be evacuated and taken to other islands nearby for safety. So our thoughts and prayers go out to those of you from St. Vincent. And we also have to make mention of my homeland, Barbados. They are currently dealing with a lot of the fallout from the ash from the volcano, which has been blanketing the island and causing lots of difficulty for both property, livestock, etc. So before we go any further, just know our thoughts and our prayers go out to you. We are monitoring what is happening and we will of course you know, keep you in our prayers. AJ, how are you doing, sir? Well, I mean, uh, apart from you know, dealing with, I guess, that issue, not dealing in general sense, but, you know, still have family back there as well. So just, like you said, kind of monitoring that. But on my end, I guess I'm good. I'm good. No complaints. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that you are good, sir. And, of course, one of the biggest news that we were going to start with today, off the rip, we have Julian Elman, your slot boss receiver. He announced his retirement this well, within the last few days, where it was reported that he had, you know, he had an injury last season. He had surgery. He failed his medical, and now he has announced his retirement. So AJ, I am giving you the opportunity off the rip. Talk about your boy. Julian Edelman. Uh, yeah, so it's happened on Monday, Monday the 12th, yeah, officially. So he made the retirement known by um, posting a video to his social media. I mean, I think it was, uh, it was announced officially before by the main reporters of, of the NFL. But um, yeah, then he released his video to his social media platforms. And um, it was kind of like, it wasn't very much of a shock to me. But at the same time, it was kind of like, damn, it really feels like, it really now feels like it's the end of an era. Um, as, as you would very much remember, after the Bucks Super Bowl, when there was a lot of talk about, um, in the media, about whether the Patriot way and whether Tom Brady is the Patriot way and all that kind of back and forth, right? But honestly, to, when I think about the Patriot way, like, I think about Julian Edelman as well, as much as could be defined by Tom Brady, I do think about Jules as well. The entire mantra of, of do your job, I think he exemplified that um, during his 12 years in Foxborough. And I mean, just being with a team for 12 years in the NFL is an achievement in itself in a league that is, is basically set up to facilitate 
player movement so men can get their money and that kind of thing. You know how it goes. Mm-hmm. So that itself, um, that kind of the length of that tenure is already an achievement. He, he always felt like, you know, felt like a pitcher. It never felt like he was going to go anywhere during the time that I became an avid fan of this. I mean, this was before his arrival there, but, you know, um, for somebody who was a seventh round pick <laughs> uh, and drafted off of being the back of uh, a QB in high school and college, um, it was noted that he said when he got into the league and, you know, after we drafted him, he said that he knew that he couldn't make an NFL roster as a quarterback, so he tried out for other positions. And it, I, I must say that decision obviously turned out well for him because he, we, we know what ended up happening in his career. Honestly, um, over the course of his career, he, he definitely grew as a football player uh, from being just like a punt returner to, you know, being like more of a tough, gritty, and dare I even say clutch, clutch um, wide receiver, as you mentioned, a slot receiver. Um, so outside of some of the special highlights uh, for like returns and even the odd trick play where he got to like show off the, the college QB arm, I'm pretty sure he's most remembered nowadays for the most recent, <laughs> for that cat, that catch against Atlanta in Super Bowl 51. That was arguably like, like the key moment, like the cornerstone of that greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. And um, then two years later, he was integral again. Um, in another Super Bowl victory, 10 receptions, 141 yards, walked away with the the, the Super Bowl MVP uh, for 53 in, in that victory against the Rams. No, that game was whatever, but still, he got his, yeah, he did his thing in that game. And then since that has kind of been a little choppy for him, um, especially with the 2020 season, as you just mentioned as well, the injuries kept, they, they weren't too kind to him, kept him up. He only played like six games in um, in that season due to the injury. And obviously that had to be the main factor in his decision to call time on his career because, again, like you said, um, he failed the medical. So, I mean, in addition to all of that, like liking him as an athlete, uh, there was one thing that kind of drew me to, to him as a fan of his outside of the field. And uh, just to mention this quickly, it was how he dealt with certain social issues, expect, expect, um, especially and with him being Jewish, um, the way he he always I'll say always he did this twice very recently, but he reached out to other professional athletes who came under a bit of scrutiny for like anti-Semitic slurs or comments. We know he did it very recently with Myers Leonard, and in the summer of 2020, he actually did it. Um, reached out as well, penned an open letter to Deshaun Jackson. Um, so that was one of the things I I, I kind of really like how he handled that. It's just like offering to reach out to like have a conversation and like educate them instead of like excoriating them and you know trying to make a public enemy and that kind of thing so um yeah in addition to him being just a great competitor mm-hmm. and a leader I was a fan of the pitch and to me he was the embodiment of the Patriot way and honestly I'll miss the man as a part of the Patriot roster I will I will I think he he had some qualities that I did adore and yeah um on the topic of whether or not he's a Hall of Famer, we'll see when we discuss that. I don't know if you won't get into that. We'll see. Shock, surprise me with it. But um, that's not for me to get into right here in this little soliloquy. But Jules, congratulations on what, based on, you know, how, how it started, what ended up being a, a great, fulfilling career. And just wishing him all the best in whatever his future endeavors are. Well, today 
is not the day for us to have contentious conversations <laughs> about Julian Edelman. Because that in and of itself is a conversation worth having of his Hall of Fame credentials. Today is not the day for that. Today we, today we will celebrate Julian. He, as you said, he has moved very well from being practically on the bubble of the roster because, you know, guys that play special teams, they don't necessarily have the greatest job security. security yeah, yeah. So he, he moved from that to being an integral part of the Patriot roster, three-time Super Bowl champion, one-time Super Bowl MVP. Congratulations, Mr. Edelman, on a fantastic career. We wish you all the best. You know, there was some whisperings that with Edelman getting cut by the Patriots that he could have ended up down in Tampa Bay. But yeah, yeah. We don't know what the state of his knee really is. He failed the medical. Maybe this is what's best for him to, you know, Take it to the crib. So, to you, Mr. Edelman, we salute you. It's, 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 it's a lot mentally. And I, I, I mean, I know this from having conversations with professional athletes. But, and I'm pretty sure, you don't need to have a conversation, but I'm pretty sure you know this too. It is a lot to come back psychologically from an injury, especially if you're at that point in your career where you're sort of, you know, questioning how much more time you actually have left. So, Mm -hmm. I think it's a best decision for him. Obviously, I know it couldn't have been an easy one, but yeah, I, I think he went off on uh, on a high enough horse. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, as you said, he didn't play much this last season, all due to injury. The last time he played with Tom, they didn't do too badly. So, yeah, it's good enough. It's good enough for him. He can feel satisfied when he looks back on how his career has gone. And I'm sure that he would have set himself up well for the future. You know, we may see him in the media space. He may join ESPN, who's been trying to find somebody to go into their booth and make the booth good since, you know, others have left. We shall see. Time will tell what happens with one Julian Elwood. Someone else who also announced his retirement this week, well, within the last week, is Taylor Gabriel. Now, Taylor Gabriel, he is another guy who made the majority of his money out of the slot. And he too has had a great path to what he's been able to achieve. He came into the league as an undrafted free agent in 2014. I mean, the school that he played to was not one of the, the blue bloods of, um, of American college football. So from there, he came in and he went to the Cleveland Browns. And this is before the Browns became good. So <laughs> he, he was at the Browns. Then he went to the Falcons. And then he was last with the Bears. He was cut by Chicago ahead of the 2020 season. And he did not play this past year because of COVID-19. Oh, because of COVID, yeah. Yeah. Um, he has had some productive years his, his first year in the league when he was with Cleveland he he had a breakout where he had 36 receptions for 621 yards and one touchdown and that was catching passes from Brian Hoyer 
prodigal son of the New England Patriots. What? And... I feel like that was completely unnecessary, though. I feel like that was completely <laughs> unnecessary. <laughs> I could not, after what I said last week, I could not help but add that in. Yeah, and then Johnny Manziel, who is currently completely out of the league. And he was the third leading receiver with the Browns that season. Then he was waived by Cleveland and was picked up by the Falcons in 2016. And he was part of that team that lost the Super Bowl after being 20, up 28-3. to three. And he had 579 yards on 335 catches with a career-high 16.5 yards per reception. That, of course, is with Matt Ryan. And he being the third-choice receiver between Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu. And that season also allowed Matt Ryan to secure the league MVP. For Gabriel, his career highs of 67 receptions and 688 yards came in his first season in Chicago with Mitchell Trubisky. Then he missed nearly half of the 2019 season with a concussion. All total, 228 receptions for 2,860 yards and 15 total touchdowns in 83 games played. That is coming in again as a undrafted free agent with the Cleveland Browns. We also tip our hat to Mr. Gabriel on a fantastic career. So, AJ... Last week, we made mention of that trade between Carolina Panthers and the New York Jets. And we spent a lot of time talking about everybody who was involved in this trade, but not as much time talking about the current incumbent quarterback for the Panthers, who is now looking over his shoulder more than likely. And we are hearing... Also, that there are lots of teams now who are interested in putting in trade requests for one Teddy Two Gloves Bridgewater. So, AJ, when we look at Teddy Bridgewater, what do you see happening next for him? Well, there's no move. There's no move up. There's no elevated sort of move. Like, he's not going to be starting at and anyone. He's not going to be a guaranteed starter in any team in this league right now. Um, it, I mean, it's kind of sad. I actually really liked this guy a few years back, but injuries, among other things, um, kind of curtailed his career. But at this point, Teddy is no more than <laughs> a, 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 a good, high, like a high-end backup, sort of like pushing your, 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 your franchise starter, essentially. He's not a franchise QB, and that's not going to be the case anytime soon. So, um I really have no outlook as to where I see him because, I, like I said, like when you're back up there, there are plenty of teams that that would probably take the risk on you. Just you know, as a just in case, as an insurance policy. Um, and the thing is, I, I I'd be interested to I I feel like more like he's more likely to be dealt after the draft than before it. But um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I can see which team particularly is going to try to get a backup like is that is that 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 is really up in the air but Teddy B is a is a backup. So the interesting thing for me, I'm taking like you said, 
there's been a lot of recent talk about Bridgewater because Bridgewater seems to be now the new hottest property, if I mean for lack of a better way of expressing it, on the potential trade market. There's still teams out there who are looking for quarterbacks. They don't have one, and we don't know necessarily what their plan is for the quarterback position as it stands here today, April 13th. So one of the places that it seems like if most people are thinking that he could land with is Denver, here in the Mile High City. Now, it is no secret that Denver is not wild about their current starting quarterback, Mr. Drew Locke. He has not done enough to fill them with optimism for him going forward. So therefore, if there's a team that would probably be in the market still for a quarterback, it could be Denver. Now, when you also look at where Denver is and in terms of their drafting, Denver is currently sitting in the ninth position. The likelihood is that with the teams ahead of them who are already looking for quarterbacks. And then we are also hearing a lot of rumors about a potential trade with the Patriots moving up into that top 10, above Denver, to grab a quarterback. Then you wonder exactly what they will be able to to obtain in terms of a potential um, starting quality quarterback for their team at nine. So there is a likelihood that they could be interested. They could pull the trigger and try to get Teddy in to Denver. So so let me tell you why I still believe Teddy is going to be a, a, a backup, basically like pushing the starter, the starter, starter right? Mm -hmm. Recently, as 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 much as a, it could have been a day or two ago, I actually saw that. So I, I mean, I take everything you just said into consideration, but I actually recently saw reports coming out saying that Drew Locke was actually working with Peyton Manning this offseason. Now, to me, that is significant in that if, if this is actually true, and we know that obviously Peyton has ties to, to Denver, right? Mm -hmm. So the fact that he's working with the QB that is there is significant in showing me that, okay, well, they, he might have one more chance. He may have one more chance. So even if Teddy was to go into this system, this new system, if I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm I'm still of the impression that Julok gets another year. So he will still, I, I feel like more likely he will still at least start the season. You never know, Teddy might come in a few games, even if, if it was to happen, right? And then and you just spoke about um, the prospect of them, what, basically trading out or, or using the ninth spot for themselves um, to get someone because there's supposed to be a plethora of, of, of um, QBs to go early in this draft. But I, I don't think Drew Locke is completely out the door yet, so I've, I have no faith that Teddy go, walks into that job. Now, the thing is, even if he doesn't necessarily walk into that job, the most, the absolute most that Drew Locke has at this point is one more year. Because, I, agree, I agree there. I agree there, yeah. Because, you know, what normally tends to happen is, especially, well, not especially, when a quarterback is not getting the job done, his head coach gets fired. When, especially the GM who brings him in also gets fired. If the GM leaves, 
before the head coach leaves, chances are if the head coach doesn't do a great job that season, then he gets fired. And the new head coach will want to have his quarterback installed to take the team forward. So from that perspective, we know that the head, the GM that was very impressed with Jula and was pushing to keep him there was one John Elway. Footballing legend here in Denver, but not necessarily being held in the same esteem as a GM. He is gone. So now we have Vic Fangio, who has not necessarily done the most fantastic job here in Denver. And yes, they have had injuries, but Fangio himself has had some clock management issues to the tune of one Andy Reid. So at this point, there's no certainty that Fangio will finish the season if the Broncos have another season similar to what they've had before. In a case like that, then you find coaches are usually then pretty desperate to get somebody in to save their bacon. And right now, Locke cannot be trusted to do that for Fangio. So there is the likelihood, there is the possibility that Fangio himself could be looking at getting somebody in who would be more steady. And if there's anything that we can say about Teddy, when fit, he is a very steady hand at the quarterback position. He doesn't take foolish risks with the football. He can be considered to be a little ultra-conservative at times. But he showed this past season that he's willing to throw the ball down the field. Mm. But he threw the ball down the field to Robbie Anderson. If he comes to Denver, he has... I mean, we, we have to wait and see how Jerry Judy is going to develop because he had issues with the drops last season. We have Cortland Sutton. Hopefully, he will be back and better than he was last season. They still have some talent on the outside and guys who are willing to stretch the field. So, while he's been dink and dunk for the majority of his career, he can still throw the ball down the field. So, Denver for Teddy might not be a bad landing spot, but similar to how it was with him going to Carolina and any other franchise that he goes to know, he would be considered to be a placeholder. No team right now is looking at Teddy Bridgewater and saying, you are the answer and you're going to take us to the promised land. And that is, for me, that is unfortunate because before he tore up his knee at practice in Minnesota, while he was not setting the world light, he was still good. He was still good enough that he could get them into the playoffs. We can only wait and see and hope for the best for young Bridgewater. So last week, we debuted Who Do You Trust? We had a lot of fun talking about Patriot-related topics. This week, as everybody would understand, we you know there's not a lot happening in the NFL right now. Everybody is focused on the draft. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors. A lot of teams are telling a lot of lies. So we would rather not waste time with the draft stuff at this point. So who do you trust this week? We are dealing with coaches. 
coaches. And we just made mention of one coach who could potentially be on the hot seat because of his situation, Vic Fangio. But AJ, I know I sent you the order, but this leads real sweet into this one. So we're going straight to the hot seat section. We got Mike Zimmer of the Minnesota Vikings. And we have Matt Nagy of the Chicago Bears. So, AJ, who do you trust more to be on the hot seat and potentially get fired this coming season? Mr. Zimmer or Mr. Nagy? Should be Mike Zimmer. It should be Mike Zimmer. <laughs> Mike Zimmer has had, he's, and this is no disrespect to the guy. I don't think he's a bad coach, but with, with, he's, he's been, he's been given tools and, I mean, let, let's be honest. None of us really trust Kirk Cousins that much. But the fact of the matter is you've had the guy for long enough to work with, right? Matt Nagy's in a situation where they just, the Bears just just basically told us, listen, we kind of messed up the QB for the last, the, the quarterback position for the last few seasons. Let's try something new. The, 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 the Minnesota Vikings have once again decided to stick with Kirk Cousins. There's no way Mike Zimmer could have um, a, 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 a longer period of, of, of a chance than, than Matt Nagy. Right now, he has to be the one on the hot seat. And if this doesn't work out, that is it. That should be it. In, in, if we're talking in, in comparison of uh, uh, these two coaches, it has to be Mike Zimmer. It's about time. It's about time. Yeah, I'm, I don't, I'm, as, I mean, we, yeah, we know what Kirk Cousins is, but you can't be... And, and this is from... They were in the... It was the, the NFC... Championship game. This was a few years back, right? It was them that lost, or it was you that lost in that game to to the Eagles. The year that the Eagles won. No, we didn't. We didn't get beat by the Eagles in that playoff run. So right. So it was, them, it was them in the right when 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 they had Case Keenum actually. The Minneapolis Miracle that season. Right. So yeah. Either way, this this because because Zimmer Zimmer's been here for a while. Zimmer Zimmer's been here for a while. After that, I mean, <laughs> there's no, there's no doubting that that Kirk Cousins was still an upgrade from what they last had, but they just haven't gotten anything done, and they just been getting worse. Listen, this is his time. I don't want to hear anything more about 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 uh, um him potentially. Like you know, like I'm I, I'm surprised he would put this with Nagy. I I'm saying Zimmer, and I'm sticking by it. So I don't disagree that Zimmer deservedly belongs on the hot seat. Because he has, he's been no Biff the Vikings for seven years. Here we go. So he has had to. But for the purposes of this question, who do I believe or who do I, who do I trust is going to be on the hot seat faster and potentially get fired first? It is only Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy came to Chicago as well, from being an assistant with Andy Reid, the discounting that has happened for Eric Bieniemy has not happened for Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy came in highly touted as a quarterback whisperer. That is where the biggest issue for me comes in. So Matt Nagy comes and he's supposed to transform the Chicago Bears into this dynamic offensive team. Whereas they have been built primarily on defense before, he was supposed to maintain 
the defensive structure that they had and make the offense to resemble what Kansas City was doing, what Andy Reid was doing. Mm. In his first in his first season, he came in, the Bears went 12 and 4. You know what we called what happened in that first season? Setting unrealistic expectations. Because since that first season of going 12 and 4, they have gone 8 and 8. Both seasons they have gone 8 and 8. And on top of going 8 and 8, the quarterback he was brought in to fix and to help develop and make sure that he becomes the world beater that Chicago thought he was going to be when they took him and didn't take Patrick Mahomes, nor did they take Deshaun Watson. He was supposed to come in and iron out all of the issues that Mitchell Trubisky had. Mitchell Trubisky right now, as they say, does not even need to learn the playbook because unless Josh Allen gets hurt, he is only seeing the field in a baseball cap for this coming season. Nagy came in, was supposed to fix that. It looked good for a season. And then it's like, remember when we as young men would have first gotten married? I'm sure somebody would have looked at you and told you, do not start anything, and especially in that first year, you don't plan to continue. You don't plan to keep on doing for the rest of your marriage. When you look at what they did in that first season, the offense looked great. It was dynamic. They were doing lots of different things. And then all of a sudden, all of that has disappeared. The defense has gotten worse. The, you paid Nick Foles a whole heap of money to come and do what? Nick Foles wasn't good enough last season. Trubisky has not been good enough for the last two seasons. So why are we keeping Matt Nagy then? For me, as bad as Zimmer has head coached this team and the problems that they have had, Zimmer comes with a plan. And he's not going to get a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins to execute his plan. Because Zimmer's intention is to run the football run the football 40 times a game and probably have 10 to 15 passes kind of uh, i mean you could probably get jimmy garoppolo because he did that over two playoff games but anyhow <laughs> you can you can say then that if you're going to spend all the money to get a quarterback in you don't necessarily need to get a world beater to do the work that Zimmer will want your quarterback to do. Therefore, I believe that Nagy, well, both of them, if the season goes as we should expect, because they still have Green Bay in that division, I expect both of them to be fired. But the one they trust to get fired first is Nagy. All right, some solid points. But let me tell you why I'm still, I still don't feel it should be Nagy, right? Mm-hmm. I was trying to consider this while you were talking and and just uh, thoughts coming to my head. Like, so you're mentioning the fact that he was supposed to be the, the, the quarterback whisperer and he was supposed to basically alleviate that issue that they had at the quarterback position. He didn't do it with, with anyone from the, from the QB room, which is fair. But at the same time, I feel like that speaks to more of the organization itself uh, um, having gotten that wrong than just him. But I take your point on that. Here's the thing, right? Last year, 
Um, I think he did. Was he injured for a couple of games? But you, you said that that Zimmer likes to run the ball, right? Mal mm-hmm. had the second best running back in the league last season in Dalvin Cook, right? Mm-hmm. And we know Dalvin Cook is, is sort of like a, a, a dual threat as well. In terms, I mean, this is second in terms of um, yards. Mm-hmm. But you asked right. if Dalvin Cook was hurt. Dalvin Cook is always hurt. Every season he, he gets is. hurt. <laughs> he is. He is. But it was only for like a couple games. He still played like 15 games. 14. 14, sorry. 14 mm-hmm. games. So he, he, he still had enough playing time. He was only behind Derrick Henry. Right? And we know he's a dual threat because he could, he, you could split him outside and he could, he could um, pass, catch some passes as well. In addition to that, as, as, as average as Kirk Cousins is, he was still in the top 10 quarterbacks in the league in yards for the season. The man still had, I'm not say well over, but over 4,200 yards. The fact of the matter is he's, Zimmer has, has these positions that are producing for him. So at this point, he doesn't have an excuse, especially given that a, a, a few years back, they were in the NFC Championship. So he doesn't have an excuse. Uh, like you said, he was there seven years. You, you have a QB that threw for over 4,000 yards. You have one of the best running backs in, in, in the league. Get it done. Get it done. This is not a position where you're trying to, to, to reestablish uh, or anything like that. Like, uh, he even had, like, one of the... the, the one of the upcoming tight ends in 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 Irv Smith Jr. like a, a man who was making his name last season. I think this man has enough weapons, and 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 based on what I saw last season, he has enough to be doing better. It still has to be Zimmer for me. Still has to be. Nagy has to be falling. He might he might be a little a few notches below, but Zimmer has to be on the top of that list right now. Has to be. Well, I mean, Zimmer did go seven and nine where Nagy went eight and eight. So that is definitely in your corner. And when you look at the position, the positional talent that he has on offense, you would expect that the Vikings would be great on offense. And Zimmer himself is known to be a defensive coach. So you would expect the defense would be better. However, it wasn't. The offense didn't do a bad job. They just didn't do a very Good. They didn't do a good enough job. But the defense is where it let them down. But as bad as the defense was for the Vikings, the Bears' offense was even more putrid. And that is what Nagy is supposed to fix. And he has not been able to do that. So whereas you are sticking with Zimmer, I am sticking with Nagy. We shall so, see. So we'll see how this goes, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll see, see who gets goes. fired first. So that is round one in the books. Next up, we have the what they considered the young mad geniuses. We have Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVeigh, San Francisco 49ers and the Los Angeles Rams. Another inter um intra divisional matchup of these coaches. So, AJ, who do you trust more? Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay? Ooh, this is tough. I actually like both of these coaches. I actually like both of them. Um, Who do I trust more for this season? I have to put that ball in McVay's court because of the fact that what he did recently, and, and I've I think the Rams, we know a few years ago they were like, they were that team in the NFC, obviously got to the Super Bowl, didn't win it, but still, 
Uh, since that, they, they did have a little dip, and I think he's he's been able to pick them back up. And especially, you no, know, we were just talking about quarterbacks. He has just gotten a, an undoubted um, upgrade at that position. Uh, no, <laughs> two weeks, two weeks after this team got eliminated from from the postseason, they were ready to trade a man out after after the he was was um, a part of that team that got them to the Super Bowl. So. Now you have a quarterback that's supposed to be able to do it. I I, I I don't want to be harsh, but I just feel like, yeah, all right. I have more faith in, in the Rams to continue rising. Um, this is no disrespect to Shanahan, but this is just based on, on the situational the situation at, at hand. I would say McVeigh at this point. So I can't disagree. I will also have to say McVeigh. But my rationale for McVeigh is probably a little different to yours. Now, you know that I hold absolutely no love in my heart for the Los Angeles Rams. I was a fan when they were in St. Louis. I have not been a fan for, for many years now. And what I have seen out of the Rams, yes, they have been good. They have been a successful team. I am definitely not a fan especially after the don't call that we shall not get back into at this point. And then following season, they are the ones that destroys all the ligaments in Drew Brees' hand and has him out for those five games that Teddy Bridgewater comes in and takes the team 5-0 during that period. So the Rams have only ever, well, not only ever, but in recent history have only caused me heartache. They, their owner also is the owner of our beloved football club, our beloved soccer club. And until he sells the team, I want no success for him. However, all of that said, I will still have to give McVeigh and the Rams the edge over this one. And the main reason why I do that is because I'm looking at Shanahan and the 49ers and I'm asking, what the hell are you doing at this point in time? Because you just traded away not just this 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 season or this future, but you traded away the future for the next three years. All your first row picks are gone to get up into the position that you are in to draft third. We don't know who they're going to pick. Right now we're hearing lots of talk about that. They might be going to pick Matt Jones. But for those pundits and for those who've been watching Mac Jones play in college, they're saying that Mac Jones has gone from not being a first-round pick to potentially being the number three pick. I haven't watched Mac Jones play. We've heard a lot of talk about Justin Fields and what will happen with Justin Fields. He, he's been shifting up and down the board. Like, like, I don't even want to say what at this point in time. And we are hearing that he could probably slide out of the top 10 altogether. If you are going to be picking your next franchise quarterback, because obviously that's what you're doing if you're giving your three first one, you don't make this move to go pick a guard or a tackle. Mm -hmm. Definitely not a running back. There's no way receivers in this draft that's worth that. So you have to be going to get a quarterback. We don't know what they're going to do. And if they're saying that they can draft any quarterback 
and put him in this system and he looked good because we've seen Garoppolo look serviceable. We've seen CJ Beathard look serviceable. We've seen Nick Mullins look serviceable. None of them have looked great in this system because they, like Zimmer, like to run the football. They want to run the football. So we have seen three quarterbacks look serviceable in this draft. If you are saying that I, Kyle Shanahan, I'm the system, like what we were hearing about with McVeigh before when they were saying that McVeigh was giving all of the calls to, um, what's his name? Yeah, so Jared Goff, prior to the snap, or prior to the microphone turning off, and then once that happened and he snapped the ball, he just had to make the read that McVeigh gave him before. Right. If you as uh, Mike Kyle Shanahan are saying that you are the system, like how McVeigh was the system, then you don't need to give up three first-round picks to draft anybody. But this is this is a sort of tomfoolery that happens when you have too much job security <laughs> because um, the GM has a long-term contract. He has a long-term contract. Before Nunez are not just going to set fire to that money. So they know that they can do whatever nonsense this season and more than likely still have next season to try to put it right. With all of that said, there's a much clearer plan in place with the Los Angeles Rams. You know who their wide receivers are. You know who the quarterback is, at least for the next two years. We know who the head coach is. We, they, they are much more settled, especially also on defense. When the foreigners now have a lot of guys who know how to come back from these serious long-term injuries, they, the Rams still have Aaron Donald. They still have Jalen Ramsey. They have the building blocks on the inside and on the outside to create a really solid defense again for next season. I have to give it to McVeigh, unfortunately. That one hurt you. I know that. I know. I can see that. I won't hurt you to admit. But how big of you? I try. <laughs> I try. <laughs> All right. So next up, you know, whereas we had teams that are potentially firing their coaches, and then there are teams that have these young up and coming coaches who we will wait and see how good things go for them. Now, this one is interconference, but not necessary, not in the same division. We have two teams that have been doing a rebuilding job that, I guess, to me, they're kind of at the same kind of point. So, AJ, who do you trust? Kevin Stefanski with the Cleveland Browns or Sean McDermott with the Buffalo Bills? No way you're going to go with this. So let, let, let me be very transparent. I, I, I know if you're expecting this, but I'm going to say Stefanski. I actually trust Stefanski more. Based on what I saw last season, clearly, 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 this man has an offensive plan, right? What he was able to do last year, getting um, the Browns, I don't want to go through every um, excruciating minutia of, of detail, but he got into the playoffs. They beat a division rival in the Steelers to win a game. Mind you, the Steelers weren't very good, but still. You could only beat who who in front here, right? Mm-hmm. I like what he's doing with the offense. There's been a meteoric rise, rise for Baker Mayfield. Baker is coming. I'm, I'm, t- I'm telling you, look out for Baker. Baker is coming. He, he is 
he's uh, and I say meteoric rise in the sense that he is no. I feel like he has gotten a grip on how to manage games better. He's not going to be like the the heralded number one draft pick that that we expected him to be. But Stefanski is getting the best out of him. In addition to that, talking about that in that offense again, I think. Or not even just the offense, because I think they're doing a very good job defensively. They're even looking to bring in some pieces. You know that Jadavion Cloney was visit visiting with the team. It's possible that he ends up landing with them. Offensively, I trust the Browns a little bit more. And I'll tell you why. The the Bills have the better quarterback and they have the better receiver. And they have obviously so they have the better duo um in um Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. However, I do not trust their running game. And I, I don't believe that they can survive or get the, the success that they're looking for with Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs only. And I can't, I can't even recall many other um, offensive weapons that these guys have off the top of my head. The running game, I just don't trust, though. Singletary and Zach Moss, not it. But you see that duo in Cleveland of, of um, Chubb and Hunt? Yeah, that, that is it. That is it. And... The Browns are on the way up. I, I have um, faith in them to continue what they're doing, and I'm saying Stefanski for this. Yes, believe it or not, Kevin Stefanski. Well, I believe it. I, expect, I expected you to go with <laughs> Stefanski. That's, that surprises <laughs> nobody. However, I mean, I don't know if the fact that the, that the Bills are your division rival as well, plays a little bit into it. I don't know. However, I'm going to say that I have my faith, all of my faith. There's not like 95 to 5. This is 100%. I have more faith in Sean McDermott and the Bills than I do in the Cleveland Browns. We will come back to the quarterback of the Browns another day. However, today... What I am looking at is, first off, the development of Josh Allen. So Josh Allen, in his first season, he played 12 games. He started 11. He, was, he had a 52.8% um, pass completion record. Well, and he went 10 touchdowns to 12 interceptions. His next season, he was 58.8% accurate, 20 touchdowns to nine interceptions. 2020, he has 37 touchdowns to 10 interceptions with a 69.2% completion percentage. You look at the development of Josh Allen. When he came into the league, they said that he had a big arm, but his accuracy was a problem. It showed in that first season. He has improved year on year without a shadow of a doubt. He has gotten better. What definitely helped this season just gone was Stefan Diggs, who I think led the league in receptions this season. Going into 2021, they just brought in the guy that I wish never left my team, Emmanuel Sanders. So he now has a credible number two receiver on the team. They have Dawson Knox, 
uh, tight end who has shown flashes. He has shown flashes of talent and ability. And another year, a disposable camera. He. This is his second year. He has shown that he has some measure of ability. We shall see. As you made mention, the weakness of the offense for the Bills has been the running game. They have had problems with Singletary. Singletary has not shown himself to be that credible. And I don't remember the other running back's name. Zach Moss. Zach Moss. He, we know from fantasy, neither, neither of these running backs were credible. So there is a weakness there. But mm-hmm. we're heading into the draft, and you know you can always get good running backs in the draft. I expect that their running game is going to be better. And don't forget, similar to Lamar Jackson over in Baltimore, you still have the threat of the quarterback running with Josh Allen. So if they implement a credible running back in that backfield, then it's going to open up so much more for that offense. And we know that the Buffalo Bills defense has been legitimate for the entire time that McDermott has been there. It has not been as good because it does not have the quality of players up front, especially that Cleveland has had. But they have been more than serviceable, for, especially for their division. And they have been a credible playoff team these last two years, and for the first time in forever, they won a playoff game just this past season, just like the Browns did. So, on top, so with all of that said, and looking at the development of the key players within that team, outside of the running back position, I still believe more in McDermott and the Bills than I do in Stefanski and the Browns even though Stefanski and the Browns have exceeded expectations, especially mine. I can't give Baker a little bit of do. So you, you know what? Uh, you mentioned Josh Allen stats as if, as if Baker didn't improve. I, I, I need to drop a little for you as well. I'm not, I'm not going to take up too much of your time, right? But the fact of the matter is the man, and the most impressive stat of his is that if I remember correctly, in the last, and, and I, we discussed this previously, in the last, in the second half of, of last season, I think he threw one pick in the entire second half of the season. And that was a major thing for him. We know that. Like, he had issues in turning over the ball. First, first year, 2018, 14 picks. Um, next season, sophomore season, from 14 to 21. But you know what happened in 2020 under Stefanski? Only eight. That is a that. That, that is huge, you know. And like I said, the man has been able to manage games a lot better now. He's making some better decisions. That's down to Stefanski. And then with the pieces around him, I just trust them more. I just trust them more. I feel like they have more to work with. So, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not going to tell you exactly why it's not the Bills, that you could, you could conjure up whatever ideas it is you want to have. But I'm, all I'm saying is that I'm sticking with Stefanski. Okay, no problem. <sighs> Well, one thing that we do know for sure though, with both of these franchises, both of these teams, is that they have not had a history of success. There have been teams that have had problems consistently during their history. 
So that then leads us in now to the final of our um, Who Do You Trust? And we're looking at two coaches now who are both heading into their sophomore season. And now the question will have to be asked, AJ, who do you trust to have the most success or the more success, to be grammatically correct? Between these two, we have Matt Rule of the Carolina Panthers, and we have Zach Taylor of the Cincinnati Bengals. Who do you trust? Uh, this one was actually kind of hard for me, but honestly, I and again, I I think that so the 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 Bengals division is what worries me. I I, I like. I like what Zach Taylor has to work with in terms of Joe Burrow. Hopefully they go out and get the guy some protection this year whenever he's back. Um, obviously, you know, that, you know that's that's usually your, your secondary move after your primary move, primary move is to get your franchise quarterback. Protect the guy. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they go out and do that. Um, I don't even know what's the timetable for his return, but he should be back in time for the season, hopefully, right? Yeah, yeah he's supposed to be back in time for opening day. Right, so I like that, but I don't like the division, and the, the, I, I'm I'm I need to mention it here because I, I feel like in both of these cases, that is uh, uh, that works against both of them. It is it, tough because Rule is in a is in a scenario now where he has a quarterback who's been in the league for a couple of years, hasn't proven anything, but he still has shown glimpses of potential, mm-hmm. and then. This is uh, on on the other hand, exactly as you said, sophomore coach with now a sophomore quarterback. Um, so it, it it could go either way. However, however, for the sake of sticking with one name, I'm actually going to say um, I actually say exactly at this point. And the reason is I kind of just really like Joe Burrow. I kind of just really like Joe Burrow. I I I I think the man has a lot to work with. And yeah, if if they could, I. I I don't expect the Bengals, the Bengals themselves to have themselves to have like a, a, a great deal of success, like I said, in that division. But I think they'll be better. I do think they'll be better with Joe Burrow when he um when he gets back. You know the man was doing absolute bits when before he got injured. So I I have a bit more faith at, at because I've actually seen him work under Zach Taylor already, as opposed to the uncertainty of Sam Donald coming into this new offense with Matt Rule. I don't think it, that will be um, like it will be a failure either, but this this one is marginal, but I'll, I'll, I'll give Zach it for right now, marginally, marginally, at this point. Okay. Well, you give it to Zach. It may surprise you, but I'm actually going to say that I, I believe that Matt Rule has the greater potential for success than Zach Taylor. No, you may mention of the division and the division for both of them does them no favors because this last season, I think both of these teams finished last in their respective divisions. Carolina is in my division. I don't want them to succeed. However, when I look at the impediments to having success, especially within the division, I believe that it may be a little easier for Matt Rule and the Panthers in the NFC South than it would be for Zach Taylor 
and the Bengals in the AFC North. We don't know what Pittsburgh is going to do at quarterback yet. Well, at least next season, because you know Ben is coming back this season. You have a young stud in Lamar Jackson, and the Baltimore Ravens are going to be good as long as he's there. You have an upper I mean, they have an upper in Joe Burrow. We have to see him put it together for a full 16-game season. But like you, I like Burrow. But outside of Burrow, what do the Bengals really have? They, they just cut Giovanni Bernard, their backup, running back to Joe Mixon. They didn't really have a lot of production from – well, they didn't have enough production from the wide receivers last season. We have to wait and see what their offense is going to look like in this coming season. So there's not enough there for me to say that I, I have like a, enough faith in them that they're going to be able to make a show in that division just yet. Versus Matt Rule, who I believe this season could easily be battling for third in the division, whereas the Bengals could easily still come last again. Because the in our division, they still have the Falcons. And nobody quite believes in the Falcons right now. So it is possible that Rule could finish third in the division behind the Saints and the Buccaneers, whichever order they come in. I know which order I, I would want them to come. We shall see. But they also have more credible talent, both at the running back position, and they have some quality performers in Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson at the White Oak. So at this point, I give it to I give it to Matt Rule. Um so my analysis is predicated on the fact that I first of all, I don't think either of these teams are making the playoffs, right? Let me just Agreed. put that out there. This is this right. So this is not this is not the, the, that's not the basis of my um argument at all. Um but like I said, I just I just have a bit more faith in in the Bengals to be better than what they were last year. And you, I mean, so we, we talked about like some of the weapons. Um, the, the thing is, on the defensive side, the Bengals' defense actually wasn't that terrible either. You know, it, 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 it I mean, it wasn't like a, one of the top ranked defense. And I don't have the stats in front of me you now, but just I'm, I'm talking eye test in terms of the games. They did have some, they did have some, some good um, names on the defense. And obviously, as I'm talking, no names ain't coming to me, but I, I want to get rid of Vontis, perfect, everything good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not a fan of that guy but really? yeah I, 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 huh? <laughs> clearly yeah yeah but <laughs> um, yeah I think they have something to build on so based on what they were last season uh, I think that this season they will have a little bit more like I said um, Sam Donald is not a scrub I actually believe that Sam Donald is uh, at least serviceable quarterback and Maru should be able to get something out of him as for that defense, though, I'm not sure. So I, I'm still, it's still up in the air for me. Like as much as Sam may have some weapons, and, and Christian McCaffrey is the biggest weapon of all. We know that. But even with him, some, sometimes there's only so much he could do. So I don't know. I, 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 I what, what was their record? They won like four or five games last year. The Panthers. Yeah, it was something like that. If I recall, or 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 even less. Five. Four? They won five games. It was five. five okay. and eleven. Five and eleven. There we go. I think they could they could possibly end up being about that still. 
in your division. I honestly believe that. Uh, but w- when it comes to the Bengals, I feel like the Bengals, they, I, I, they, may not, they may not surpass that either, but they'll definitely be better than what they were last year. I really believe so. So, like I said, it's marginal, but I'll give it to Zach for right now. For right now, just marginally. Okay. No problem. I have I have no rebuttal to that because, they're, like you said, it, the margins are very slim between the two yeah. of them. So, only time will tell. Like I said, Brief. even though I expect Matt Rule to, to be more successful than, than Zach Taylor, and that is primarily predicated just on the organizations. Right, right. We, we will see. We will see how it goes. And that, folks, brings us to the end of Who Do You Trust? So, this week, we have a final thought coming to us from AJ. AJ has pledged his loyalty to one Kevin Durant. He says that he he only speaks for Durant in regards to basketball issues, not to anything else, not the burner accounts and the and the other stuff. But today, his final thought is based on some of the other stuff. I will not go any further, AJ. The floor is yours. Tell the folks what's happening with your with your guy. I had to. I had to. Yeah, thanks for letting everybody know that. First of all, I, this is like since I've been watching basketball, this is the third guy I've had. The first being the goat. You know, growing up in watching basketball in the nineties, so it was the goat. Then it was Tracy McGrady. Now it's Kevin Durant. Since he's been drafted, I might add, friend put him um, put me onto him since like college and. He's been my guy ever since, right? So, yes, there was a point in time where I did say that, I, you know what, I was done trying to figure out what he was doing with regards to his personal business, you know, off-the-court stuff. But there's sometimes when you have to stand up for things that are right, right? When you see when you see things that are in that taking place that don't necessarily make sense to you, you got to speak out about it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we know that KD is very much like a divisive player, I would say, not because of talent, but due to the entire whole Warriors move debacle, right? People have their, their opinions. And then as, as a personality himself, because of what we just discussed with regards to him, uh, like uh, responding to fans on social media, responding to people generally on social media. So obviously a lot of the echoes that we've been hearing coming out of, coming out of the woodwork is, oh, uh, the master saying that he soft and for, for the replying to fans talking smack to him on social media and so on but the, the the reality of this is though that even though he is my guy um i do at times feel like i, I agree that that there are a few things that he could let go um which is why i made that statement in the past but i'm pretty sure he doesn't respond to every single fan right but granted but you see the thing is fans generally sort of like it when athletes get interactive and they do respond on social media and that sort of stuff with fans and, you know, able to have conversation with them. It helps you to see them as an individual outside of their on-court or field persona, right? But the issue... <laughs> but <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry. Yeah, but um, then to have issues when the fans come to defend themselves, I find it to be a little... As a little backward and hypocritical, like you can't necessarily dictate how they use their their um platforms 
to to interact with you. It's not like they only supposed to use it to to um call out the good stuff. But when you say something wrong about them, that they they can respond to that. So I I I, I dislike that that part of the argument, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Katie's been known to respond to to regular people, the average Joes, or whether it be uh, um, media personalities as well in the sports media sector. And we we know recently, we didn't get into that here. I don't think we got into that here. But we we know about his recent back and forth with Michael Rappaport. Anybody who knows a little bit about Rappaport knows that he is an internet troll, right? So he's accustomed, like, having this segment where you just call out people and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I don't want to get, don't want to get too much into that. Um, but I do want to say that I think that that went extremely too far. I, I'm, I don't, I don't feel sorry for either of them necessarily. I think they both allowed it to get that far, but and especially in Katie's sense, I feel like his comments went a bit too far. Like that was uncalled for. Um, I know he wasn't expecting it to be leaked, but still, still that's not an excuse for that kind of language, the language that he used there. Um, but since that, and this happened just, this was just like, what, a week ago? And since that, we had something else come up. So it was between yesterday and today, Monday and Tuesday. He was in the media again, and this time it was a little short exchange with old good old Unc, Shannon Sharp, the, the outspoken co-host of, of um, Skip and Shannon's Undisputed on FS1, right? So the interaction, let me, I, I don't want to hop on every single thing, but the interaction went something like this. Essentially, um, what it's based on is the fact that Shannon Sharp went on air and he and Skip were discussing, apparently uh, it was supposed to be a, a quote that KD made. Um, the quote that the quote that uh, in question is, so KD, KD apparently said, people try to discredit my rings, but honestly, I feel like they're most the most valuable of all era. Um, people argue LeBron is a goal, but if I beat him in back-to-back finals, then what does that make me? So apparently they discuss this on the show, and then Shannon Sharp, uh, like, in posting the, the soundbite from that, he had like a little, a little write-up for that, essentially, you know, and Ken was like chastising Katie for it. So the thing about this is, Ken, these, um, this statement, uh, this apparent statement from Katie didn't ever come from his mouth or his or his fingers or anything like that. He didn't say this. No, no, the, the issue here is you can't go about not verifying these sorts of things and then go on a nationally syndicated show and say that. No, it just happened. It just recently happened. So in, in light of all the things that Katie's done in the past, I know I'm going to see some easy money sniper detractors calling him soft again and making these disparaging comments towards him because he responded to, to Shannon on social media when Shannon made his comments on the show. But the problem here lies in the fact that you can't, you can't use your public platform to falsify information about about someone and then have it as an issue when they uh, um like try to to call you out about it so what happened in this exchange katie basically called shannon out on in in a, in a twitter thread right shannon declared he didn't want to comment he ended up saying that you know what i don't want to have a back and forth here with katie and lose my job okay that's what he but 
essentially he, he declined the comment to respond to Kitty and Kitty didn't use any foul language or anything. So, because this is this, this is the two to threat. So it's out and open, right? What ended up happening is that Shannon blocked KD. He actually blocked him from Twitter. Yeah, he blocked him. He blocked him. He blocked him. And then the last tweet from KD was basically responding to that. Or not responding, but he took a screenshot and he had the caption, posted it and with the caption. And they say I'm I'm um and they say I'm sensitive. So he, he so you, you see the problem, you see my problem here, which is why I was like, nah, I have to defend this because I know I'm gonna hear people talking smack. But the fact of the matter is Shannon went on air. He went on air on his show where he knows he has a great following and where people always, you know, people like, like this man. Mind you, I like Shannon too. I do. But you, you know people take his word. Out. A lot of people like how he talks, you know, especially all these little anecdotes from grandma used to say this and, you know, all that kind of stuff. People listen to the man. You can't go on air with these sorts of falsified quotes and, and, and call out the man, especially when he's already getting a bad rap for something like that. And then when he calls you out on it, it's going to be an issue because people are more likely inclined to take Shannon's word for it and then bash KD as opposed to, to going to verify information themselves or backing KD. So I will be the voice for KD here. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like it. Like I said, I like Shannon Shop. I really do. But the fact that he wanted to talk in private because he didn't want to go back and forth and lose his job, well, all right. That's cool, but it shouldn't be an issue that the man called out on social media. Don't try to make him the bad guy for that. I need, like Shana Shana said, I need everyone who had some, some comment on KD and his social media used to keep the same energy now with Shannon Sharp. That the same energy that Shannon Sharp always talking talking about, keep it with this situation. I don't want to hear anybody come in and tell me that he's wrong for calling out um, Shannon Sharp publicly after Shannon Sharp made these comments on his show or, or put this entire quote on his show that was false. Uh, like like uh, Unc says himself, that is some bull jive. Keep the same energy, and he should have addressed it. I, I know I, I know he's saying he wanted to do it in private, but you did this in public, bro. It shouldn't be an issue if the man calls you out in public. Handle it. Handle it. I I, I, I just had to come back off uh, my sabbatical to defend him on this one, though. And that's it. Well, I agree with you. Um, if the comment was made and it can be verified it should have been verified and if it could not be verified because it's i saw the majority of the back and forth with them and then that shannon had told him that he wished him well you know he hopes he recovers soon and that he sees him on the court okay cool no problem i did not know it got to the point of a blocking yeah <sighs> blocking yeah but, well, what happened is it was it was some it was some um gag site that that was posting these quotes that were not true and, and apparently claiming that they came from players and whatnot so mm -hmm. they, they, uh, like shannon and skip i i guess i don't know who gave them that information however but they ran with it like it was actually something and had a whole segment on it and like i said this already feeds into the narrative that that katie is this and that and you know it, it so I, I can't blame him for wanting to come out and defending himself in uh, in this point all he's doing is defending himself though yeah, because they, in this case, it's not true. It's not true. It's yeah, not, but and, and and you know how it is with Unc that as soon as somebody says anything bad about LeBron, he will get on his soapbox. Yeah, yeah. He is the head pom pom wielder when what it comes I, to you one. Know it. So keep the same energy. Keep that same energy. Keep the same I, energy. Yep. So 
I do believe that that is a great spot for us to wrap this up. This has been another edition of the Green Bridge Podcast. We do this once a week. Every Wednesday, it airs at 9 a.m. on the mountaintop, 11 a.m. for you guys on the East Coast and in Caribbean. As always, that is AJ. He is the Green. I am Ken. I am the Bridge. Like, subscribe, tell a friend. We shall see you.